Welcome and thank you for tuning into the Promise Center's weekly podcast. We hope that this message blesses you and encourages you to take your next step in following Jesus. As always, feel free to check us out at www.thepromisecenter.com for more information on our church, what we're doing to make a difference in Sonoma County, and how you can partner with us. God bless and enjoy this week's message. We are in a sermon series. Uh, We've been tackling some big, big subjects. It's a summer road trip. So on a summer road trip, you go and you see big sights and and you go look at the Grand Canyon. Of course, you can't you can't see all of the Grand Canyon, right? But you get to see, you get to look at the Grand Canyon, and you're like, "That's amazing!" And so, what we're doing is we're taking like these these big big scenic views of big subjects in the Bible. And so, we're going to kind of look at them next week. We're talking about end times. Does anybody love the narrative of end times and eschatology and? When's Jesus coming back? Next week we're going to tell you when Jesus, no, I'm just kidding, not really, not going to happen. But we are going to, we are going to have uh, Miles Wise, he'll be speaking. Um, he is Jewish, he's also Christian, he does a lot of work over in Israel. It's going to be amazing, you don't want to miss it. So we'll be tackling that big subject. And uh, end times and talking about eschatology is not something that is to scare you, but it is to prepare you. It's something we do because it's a part of, most of the Bible is prophecy. Did you know that? Like over, I think, 45, 50% is prophecy. So tons of prophecy, and we're going to kind of unpack that together next week. It's going to be an absolute blast. Today we're talking about baptisms, baptisms. How many knows what the word baptism means? Anybody? 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 Give it right here. Oh, you raise your hand. You have to answer. Anybody else? Baptism. What does the word baptism mean? Baptismo, it means to, David, you know it, what does it mean? To immerse, to immerse, it's not like a little splash, it's like to dunk, to be fully submerged, it's like to go all in, it's like what God has called all of us to do with our faith, it's not like toe in, it's like to be baptized, and so when we get into water, and we have water baptism, we have we have our next step right after uh, service today, and you can learn more about water baptism, and we also have things like uh, the baptism of repentance, where you're just overwhelmed with conviction. You're like, God, I've got I've to be right with you. And you call on the Lord, and there's this wonderful work that God does in your heart. And there's also the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this baptism is not like drip, drip, drip. This is like splash zone, right? Like this is Shamu, like going, Poosh, and tons of water. And you're like, uh, you're drenched from head to toe. And that's what the baptism essentially of the Holy Spirit is. And so we're going to talk about... Uh, this invitation into baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. We'll put on the screen uh, behind me. Um, how many here like to hike or like to go camping? Anybody? 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 Okay, who doesn't like to? Would you raise your hand with me because we're going to be great friends. We're going to be great friends. No camping, no sleeping in sleeping bags or cots or anything like that, all right? Uh, unless Wayne invites me to go in his big camper, I won't be camping anytime soon. So that's kind of how it works. But here's what I found out this week, really interesting, that if, if, you, if you go camping or you go on a big hike or something, um, there's some safety rules, and they're, they're kind of in order. And, and I didn't have the order right. I thought, like, the number one, like, safety rule when going on an adventure is to know how to start a fire. How many would have thought that that would have been like, if you're in trouble, 
you got to know how to start a fire. How many would think that that was, like, the number one, right? Okay, we got a couple hands. How many would think, like, how to choose good water, right? Like, you got to get good water. you got to purify the water. How many, that would be, like, the, the some hands here, all right? Um, how many think, like, how to skin a snake and eat a snake? That would be, like, survivor, right? And we're going we're gonna to survive and eat the snake, and we'll eat whatever comes our way, whatever bugs. Nope. The number one key to survival, if you are going on some great adventure, is you got to tell someone where you're going and when you're planning to come back. Let that sink in. You got to tell them where you're going and when you're planning to come back. That was worth the money you paid to be here, folks. God bless you. God bless you. No, but seriously, this is exactly what Jesus is doing in Acts chapter 1. He's essentially saying, here's where I'm going, but I'm about to pour out the Spirit on you, and it's coming in just a few days. It's that conversation. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we call these the Gospels. These are the birth, the life, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, and all four of these Gospels end with Jesus ascending into heaven. The book of Acts that we're about to read, which is the narrative of the early church, the first like 30, 35 years, all condensed into 28 chapters, okay? All condensed, okay? This is all about the church. It begins with Jesus ascending. So we have four accounts of his death, four accounts of his burial, four accounts of his resurrection. We have five accounts of his ascension into heaven, his final benediction and being like, okay, guys, let's get this set up because here's what I need you to do. So here's this conversation, Acts 1 and 4. On occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this commandment. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So here's the context Jesus is referring to John the Baptist, his cousin, who baptized him. The Holy Spirit comes like a dove. Voice opens from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And John's ministry was simple. It was a message of two things, one response. It was a response of you need to repent and get your heart right. Why? Because the Messiah is coming. And here's his message, two things. The Lamb of God that will take away the sins of the world and this Messiah will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So Jesus is the baptizer, and he baptizes us with the Holy Spirit, and this is a promise to every believer, okay? So this is the context. Jesus is reminding them of what John said as he prepared the people's hearts for the kingdom and the king. And then he, they said, they gathered around him and asked, Lord, what are you going to do at this time to restore the kingdom of Israel? How, how's this all going to work? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set in his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to be empowered. Empowered to do what? Empowered to do what you could not do on your own. The Holy Spirit is not about making me better than you. It's about God making me better than me. Let me say that again. It's not about God making me better than you. It's about God making me better than me and empowering me to fulfill his will that is always bigger than me. You know that God has a plan for you, that you within your own ability and strength 
cannot do, perform on your own, in your own human will. But there is a gift, and there's a gift giver. So you can fulfill the purposes of God in your life, and the means by which you can do that is this gift called the Holy Spirit. Say that with me, Holy Spirit. All right, I like where you're going with this. Here we go. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up to the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men, these are angels, dressed in white, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus uh, uh, who beside them, excuse me, has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. So they're all like, whoa, Jesus just floated off, and now he's gone. And they're standing and, like, immediately God has to send two angels to be like, hey, guys, remember what Jesus said just, like, 90 seconds ago? You're supposed to get yourselves to Jerusalem. Now, this is an interesting request because Jerusalem is ground zero of where they took Jesus, betrayed Jesus, beat Jesus, and killed Jesus. So you want me to go back to ground zero where all the mayhem happened? Yes, this is where he's going to start the church. The church will begin at the threshing floor. It will begin where David purchased that land with a high price. It will begin in Jerusalem, and it will spread throughout the whole world. But it cannot happen. It will not happen till the Spirit is poured out. So for seven days, they waited they got together, they prayed, and on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out, and God filled them, and God set them on fire, and eventually God sent them all over the world to preach the gospel, and the world was literally turned upside down by ordinary people who did extraordinary things because they were empowered by an all-powerful, glorious God pouring His Spirit upon them. Can I get an amen from anybody in the house? So in our apprenticeship, and our spiritual formation following Jesus, we will all come to this crossroads where we have to make a decision. Do I stay here and go, that was cool? Or do I move on to Jerusalem and say, you know what? I'm ready to be filled with your presence. I'm ready for you to fill me with your power. I'm ready for you to set me on fire and send me out into the work of ministry. I believe that in this place, every one of us, we have a calling. We have a purpose. You were not chosen to be the chosen frozen and to sit and just wait for Jesus to come. But he has called us with purpose and passion and to be, uh, to be set on fire and to go into the world and make a difference. Amen? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we open our hearts to you. Let your living word teach the written word. Let the word of God fall into good ground and bring forth much fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say amen. All right. So here's what I know. I understand that the elephant in the room is this. So we start talking about Holy Spirit. We start talking about manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And we've all seen, we've all seen the, the expressions of this, either in, uh, on television or we've read about it, that there are these things called tongues and miracles and word of knowledge and word of wisdom. Maybe you've read about it in the Bible, and Paul talks about it with the church in Corinth, and he has to do some correcting, and he has to do some posturing, and he has to help them say yes to it. He says, covet the best gifts. Don't, don't, don't not want the gifts, but we're going we're gonna to know where their place is in the body, and we're going to do this in a way that glorifies God and not glorifies ourselves. 
Well, here's what's really cool, is right now in the world, there are more people in churches and outside of churches who are being filled with the power of the Spirit than ever before. Than ever before. An old statistic, an old statistic, and I don't want to give you a new one because I'm not, I didn't, I, I didn't get it, okay? But it's out there. I, I didn't want to misquote it. I've read it, but I can't remember what it is. But like eight or nine years ago, it was a half a billion, 500 million people who have claimed to have been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, all right? So this is not like, this is not something in a corner. This is not some thing in a closet where it's like, yeah, it's kind of a new thing. No, this is something that even the Bible talks about in the last days he's going to pour out his spirit, that there's going to be a great awakening to the full message of the gospel. Some people say, I like the Jesus part, but I'm not crazy about the Holy Spirit part. It's kind of like saying, I love my, my $1 million car, but I want to take one tire off. Guess what happens if you take one tire off of a very expensive car or a, or a cheap car? It doesn't work, right? You, it's not going to work. And the problem is, is we can't pick and choose what part of the Bible and what part of God's will for our life that we want to embrace. We've got to say, Lord, just pour it on. I want all that you have. Amen? It's like getting keys to a house, but then there's rooms in the house that you don't have keys to. Wouldn't that be weird if you had a house, you bought it, but they didn't give you keys to certain rooms? It wouldn't feel like your house. And there's a lot of people who haven't stepped into all that God has for them. Our plan, our heart for you here at the Promise Center, in your spiritual formation and your growth, is that you'll step into all that God has. Not one inch more, not one inch less. God has a perfect plan for your life. Amen? And so here's how we work uh, when we come to look at Scripture, when we come to look at doctrine. Everybody say doctrine. So when we, when we look at doctrine, um, it's going to end up in four categories. Okay? The first one is, what am I willing to die for? Okay? That's a big question. What am I willing to die for? You, you go on a, uh, a trip to uh, Syria, ISIS snatches you, takes you out. This is very morbid, I know. Takes you out, and this has happened to people, and they say, is Jesus Lord? Did he really rise from the dead? Is he king of all? If you say yes, we shoot you. Like, that's something to die for. I'm not denying that. That is absolutely right. Jesus is Lord. He rose again. He is my Savior. Undeniable. I'm dying for that. Okay. Number, number two is divide for. Um, maybe I'm not going to die for it, but, but I, I, I'm definitely, uh, we'll, we'll divide over it. We, we'll say, you know what, you, you go your way, you, we'll, we'll go our way. One example of this, and I, and I hope this doesn't offend anybody, but this is the truth of the matter. This is historical. Uh, a couple hundred years ago, uh, Protestants and Catholics said, uh, we're going to divide over this. We're not in agreement about this. And, and we would be Protestant, and, and, uh, what, which means that our authority, the authority by which we base our faith is sola scriptura, which means only scripture. The scripture is the final authority. Where the Catholic Church said it's sola scriptura. I mean, it, it's the scripture, uh, but it's not sola scriptura. It's not only the scripture. It's also church tradition, and it's also the Pope. And we say, you know what? Um, I know there's a lot of great people, great heart, people love Jesus, but this is something where we're going to part ways, 
and it's just going to be it's going to be different. We're going to worship in different elements, environments, whatever, whatever. I hope that doesn't offend anybody, but that's just how we, we it works. Okay, so you die for, you divide for, and then there's things you debate for, right? There's things you you debate over. So um, there there's an ongoing debate: Calvinism, Arminianism, where where um, the sovereignty of God and and uh, predestination, and did you really choose to be a Christian and follow Jesus, or was did He choose you so much that you could not resist uh, to choose Him, and you really had no free will in it? And those who go to heaven are chosen to go to heaven. Those who don't go to heaven were actually chosen not to go to heaven. And there's this Calvinist, um, Arminianist uh, debate. And you know what? I'm happy to debate that. I'm not going to divide over that. And uh, if you're Calvinist here, uh, you know, I, I don't mind that you're wrong. You can still come worship with us. Hallelujah. Amen. Just kidding. But God bless you. And uh, we'll debate it. Let's talk about it. Let's hash through it. Let's, let's read the Bible together. That's all right. It's okay for us to have good conversations. There's a lot of subjects in the Bible that we need to debate and go over again and again and again. And there's some things you just need to decide. Like, the fourth category is we're just going to decide, right? And so, like, uh, people uh, will say, did, did Adam have a belly button or did he not have a belly button? You know what? Honestly, whatever you think, go with that, right? Like, ah, you know what I mean? Uh, the Nephilim in, in, in Genesis chapter 6, were they, what were they? Were they angels? Were they mighty? You know, what, what, what were these giants and da-da-da-da? And, and then people come to me all the time. They're like, hey, listen, I've been doing some research and hours and hours in the library, and this is what I've come with with. I really think that the Nephtali are da 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 And I'm like, man, you've got a lot of time on your hands. Whatever you want to do, dude, if that is, if that cool. You decide, I'll decide. We'll kind of like part ways, like there, like not a big deal. We can still fellowship. We can still be brothers. We can still whatever, whatever. But the point is just make a decision and move on. Not, not, a, not a big deal. And so the subject of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is kind of interesting because in the last hundred years, it has it has moved down from like a thing that was divisive, where people were like, "Oh, are you are you one of those Holy Spirit people that believes in the gifts of the Spirit are still for today, or are you one of those uh, real like like uh, cessationists that we just we believe that the Bible, you know, we have the Father, Son." And Bible, the Holy Spirit has been replaced by the Bible, and and da da da. And again, I believe in the inherent Word of God, yada yada yada. But the point is, is that that we we believe that once Jesus died, and once the apostles established a church, and once the Bible was kind of the canon was come together, which took a couple hundred years, by the way. Um, once it all kind of came together, then essentially God went on vacation, and He no longer speaks, He no longer does miracles. He died for the world with His stripes. We were healed. If you were born, you know, 1950 years ago, right? But he doesn't do miracles anymore. And so that group has gotten smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And Christendom as a whole is going, yeah. Not only do we see that this is true, that gifts of the Spirit, miracles, healings, like they still happen today. Undeniable. A lot of people who were cessationists are, are now no longer cessationists because they've experienced the power of the Spirit, have been healed, have seen miracles in their life. Okay, this is not a us and them, but I want you to know that, that, that Christendom is opening up again in a, in a great way to the working of the Spirit. That prayer matters, and that hearing God's voice and being obedient to Him matters. And again, this is not about being wacky, okay? Um, there's a scripture in the Bible that says that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet, which essentially means at no point is, is God going to take over your body and, like, make you do something. And, you know, someone's like, you know, doesn't like someone, they go, the Lord did that. He took control of my hand and made me slap you. 
you don't believe the Lord? You know, what are you doing? And uh, that's not going to happen. Or God, God is not going to force you to like, you know, uh, you know, push you back and, 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 and push you into someone and, and, and whatever, whatever, okay? So that, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about like possession. I'm talking about like how the Lord flows through a streaming like we, we stream a movie on, on the internet or downloading a movie. God's downloading information. God's, through the Holy Spirit, teaching us his word. And, and this is something that we as believers have got to understand that the Holy Spirit is our friend. The Holy Spirit is a part of our, again, spiritual formation. And it's not that, like, well, do we want the Holy Spirit or not? We want the Holy, we need more of the Holy Spirit, not less of the Holy Spirit. Because when we have less of the Holy Spirit and, we're, and, we, and we, we close our hearts and minds off to the Holy Spirit, here's what happens. We end up with these rituals and we end up with uh, spiritual, like, like trinkets. And we, we have the, the muscle memory of, of the what we do, but there's no power inside of it. In fact, um, the Bible says this, that in the last days, they'll have a form of godliness, but there'll be no power or no, no, no anointing on it. There'll be no power in it. So they'll look like Christians. They'll sound like Christians. They'll, get the, they'll have a big Bible, but there's no real power. There's no, there's no power working in them. There's no power changing them. They, they do what they do. Why, why, are you, why are you a Christian? Well, my, my mom and my dad were Christians. Well, well what, about, what about a change on the inside? What about an experience with God going, I know that I know that I know. The Bible says that, that it's the Holy Spirit that tells us we are God's children, right? Like it cries out, Abba, Father. There's, there's a, a spiritual witness. We've, we've witnessed an experience that, 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 that validates our faith. It's more than just a philosophy, but it's an experience. And God wants that for all of us. Can I get a good amen? And so as we look at the early church, and a couple years ago I, I went through the uh, book of Acts like, like two dozen, maybe three dozen times. I read it and listened to it over and over and over. I did it for a couple months. I just over and over, just voraciously like, I want the book of Acts. I, I, the book of Acts is, is the church. And as I was reading, what I realized is the early church, everything they did was in congruence and alignment with the Spirit. Like the book of Acts is called Acts of the Apostles, it's really Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. It was the Spirit moving through them and guiding them. Watch this, Acts chapter 8 and 26. I want to show you how fine-tuned they were to the Spirit. Acts chapter 8 and 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. He rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, uh, a court official of Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had to come to Jerusalem to worship, but was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip is an evangelist. He traveled to Samaria. He began to preach the gospel. Awesome things were happening. People were being converted. And one day, during his tent revival, an angel comes and says, hey, go down to Gaza. What? Go to Gaza? Yeah, go to Gaza. And he obeys the voice of an angel. He goes down to Gaza, and there he is, like, hanging out, doesn't know what to do. And a chariot pulls up at the crossroads, across the street, and the Holy Spirit says, go talk to that man. Now, when the Holy Spirit says that, that man who, again, the angel told Philip days before, perhaps weeks before, to get to Gaza for this divine appointment... He's standing there, 
And the man in the chariot, this Ethiopian man, this eunuch, this, this official of the Queen of Candace who's come to worship, is reading scriptures, and he's reading about a suffering man. A man in the book of Isaiah that the prophet said would suffer for many, and he'd be bruised, and he'd be beaten. And, he, and Philip walks up to him and says, do you know what you're reading? And the man says, how can I know except someone help me? And this divine appointment where Philip was able to tell the Ethiopian man who Jesus was, the man says, I want to get baptized. He baptizes him in water, and this Ethiopian man goes to Ethiopia, and there is a church today in Ethiopia because of this man. The gospel went to Ethiopia and never left. Come on, somebody. A divine appointment. Now, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see this, that not only did Philip understand the difference between the voice of an angel and his own voice, he understood the difference between the voice of an angel the voice of the Holy Spirit, and his own voice. You know what I mean? Like, like that's pretty in tune, right? Like, the guy's like, oh, yeah, so the angel told me to go down. Holy Spirit told me to go over. And you're like, dude, you are so spiritual. Wow. You know what I mean? But this is the connection and the reliance that these people had on the Holy Spirit. Because they knew that... Whatever the Lord initiated, whatever he initiates, he will activate and he will perform. And so they weren't going like, here's a good idea. They were saying, what are you wanting, Lord? The Holy Spirit says, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas to go reach the Gentiles. Yes, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, yes, circumcision. You can thank the Holy Spirit. Circumcision doesn't profit anything anymore. We and the, we and the Holy Spirit believe that circumcision no longer profits in the church. Can you imagine, like, like, growth track and next steps? Hey, we have baptism class today. Welcome home next week. And then the third step is we have circumcision class. But the Holy Spirit was like, hey, that's Old Testament. We're moving on. The Holy Spirit was guiding the church, navigating all the nuances to be able to become the church established and to bring the gospel to all the earth. The Holy Spirit wasn't like option B. He was the only option. Like if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have a church. If the Holy Spirit is not functioning in the body, then we're singing cute songs. If the Holy Spirit is not convicting and drawing people, then what are we doing? Right? Like you got here because the Holy Spirit drew you. You came to the knowledge of Jesus because the Holy Spirit did that. No one comes to the Father, right, except the Spirit draws them. No one can call on the name of Jesus, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, except by the Spirit. Like the day you went, Jesus, I need you. That wasn't you because you are just so bright. The Lord guided those words, brought you into that understanding. It was the Holy Spirit the whole time. This whole thing is a work of the Spirit. And so I say, we need more of the Holy Spirit, not less of the Holy Spirit. We need to understand better the ways of the Holy Spirit. It was Mary who was approached by an angel, and the angel said, hey, by the way, I know you're young, I know you're single, you're engaged, uh, you're a virgin, but you're going to have a baby, and he's going to save the world. And she went, oh, what? She goes, I don't know a man. I don't even know how this is possible. And here's the answer that the angel gave. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. What's the answer? Holy Spirit. What's the answer? I, I, need the, I need to come into communion with the Holy Spirit. 
I need more. I need to be filled again with the Spirit. I need to, I need to come under the faucet of heaven and let Jesus pour out his Spirit upon my heart. Come on, somebody. Like, like we, we ought not to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. We ought to say, Lord, fill my house, fill my heart, fill my children's lives, fill every part of me, right? We need more of the Holy Spirit. So, again, big idea, a lot of things going on. If we, if we don't have the Holy Spirit, then we can become very regimented and religious very quickly. Very, very quickly it happens. Um, on, on planet Earth, you have, you have two trade winds that happen. And you have a northern hemisphere and you have the southern hemisphere. And they're going in opposite directions. And so around the, around the um, almost said earthquake, not earthquake, around the equator um, is where they, they, they cancel each other out. And so back in the day, maritime days, they would, they would take their sails and they would have to navigate very carefully around the equator because there was no wind. They canceled out. It was called dundrums. They were called dundrums. And you get stuck in a dundrum and you could be stuck for, for weeks in a dundrum because there's no wind there. There's no movement. There's no current. And a lot of us, perhaps, have been stuck in a spiritual dundrum. We've been stuck where there's no movement and there's... God, that there's no breathing and there's no, there's no invitation for God to do a new thing. We are like standing and staring. Wow, isn't that cool what he did 30 years ago in my life? And we're still like memorializing an old event. And there's an invitation for us to go to the next event. And he's telling us where it is. And he's saying, you got to get there. You've got you've to do it on purpose. You're not going to stumble into this. You're going to have to do it on purpose. So I want to give you a couple, just really quickly, a couple reasons that you should want more of the Holy Spirit. Okay? First uh, Corinthians chapter 2 and 12. It says this. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. So how do we understand those things? By the Spirit. It's the Spirit. We, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So my brain is not going to be able to get it because my brain is carnal. And immediately I'm going to start hearing stuff, and I'm going to be like, huh? I'm gonna, logic is just going to overtake. And when the Spirit begins to speak, he's not trying to get to my brain. There's a way that God communicates. So how many here play the piano? Nanette, I know you do. I saw it on Facebook this week. It was amazing. Great job. You get a piano, and you, if it's a grand piano, you, you open the top and the frame there. And if you, if you, if you get a, a, a speaker and, and that speaker is playing a certain note, the note associated with the string or the string associated with that note inside that piano will begin to vibrate because that speaker is playing that note. All the other strings will not move, but the string that's the same note that is playing will connect with that sound and will begin to vibrate. So here's, here's the complexity and the simplicity. Are you ready? You and I, we are body, soul, and spirit. Body, soul, and spirit. Some of us have a little bit more soul than others. 
Some of us have a little bit more body than others. Don't judge. Here's what our body does. Our body connects us to the natural world. It's like I, we live in a physical world. And this physical body connects me. Sight, sound, smell, taste, all of that. I, I'm connected to the physical world through my physical body. I'm connected to the spiritual world through my spirit. I'm a, I have a spirit. So I have, I have a body, I have a spirit. And so um, you may have been to a place before, maybe before you were a believer, and you walked in and you went, mm, something's not right. Or you walked in and you go, something's evil about this. That's not processing human intuition through the natural perceptions and the neurons of the brain. That's something in your spirit. You go, something's not right. Okay? You're a spiritual being. One time, my wife and I were on the other side of the house. This is when Josh was just a little, little guy. And we didn't hear a thing. Nothing. But all of a sudden, Heidi goes, she jumps up and she goes, something's wrong. I go, what? She goes, I don't know. Just something's wrong. She runs into the back of the house. Josh has got the hair dryer. He's got the the water on and he's blowing water with the hair dryer. And she caught it just moments before he stuck it under. Yeah. And so that doesn't come through neurological, like, connections. Like there, there's a there's a there's a spirit connection that we're we're and again I that sounds really weird and mystical and I'm not trying to mystify anything but I'm saying we are spiritual beings, we are spiritual beings, okay? And then we're also so not only our spirit man our spirit man connects us to to this to to other people's spirit um, to to become one flesh. Okay, that's why that's why the Bible talks about um, uh, intimacy uh, when we are intimate to become one. Uh, those two spirits connect, and that's a, that's a big deal because when they break apart, uh, it's like welding two together and breaking them apart, and there's fractions. So, so that's a whole teaching of Paul, and I won't get into that wrong subject for today, but it's, it's all there. So I have a body, connects me to the physical world. I have a spirit, connects me to the spirit world, things of the spirit, and then I am a soul, and my soul is what makes me aware of myself. It's my self-awareness, my will, my intent. And so you have a body, you have a spirit, and you are a soul. But how the Holy Spirit communicates with us is through our spirit into our soul, through our spirit. And so this is what it's saying right here in Corinthians. He's saying, hey, look, the things of the spirit that God is speaking, they're not going to be perceived with the mind. And this is where the big, this is where the wall we hit as Christians. We hit that wall because it just doesn't make sense. It's just crazy, right? It's like the story in Mark chapter 6 where the Bible, we don't have to put it up there, but the Bible talks about how Jesus went to Nazareth and he's preaching. And the Bible says they were amazed and they were like, wow, this is amazing. And then finally someone goes, but hey, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't Mary and his brothers and sisters, aren't they? Aren't those? And logic took down the work and the speaking of the Spirit and then all of a sudden the Bible says they became offended. They became offended because they used logic and they denied what the Spirit was trying to bring life into their hearts and and resurrect hope in their spirits. And guess what? Logic broke it down. And I'm going to tell you, anytime the Lord speaks to you, there's going to be this battle that you're going to feel. And so this is the battle that we're all going to have to figure out. Um, I remember when I first started pressing into the Word and pressing into prayer several, several years ago when I... God called me into ministry, and I was like, Lord, I want, I want everything in the Bible. I, I'm just going to take it at face value. And I'll never forget, I was at a grocery store, and I'm going through the line, and the Holy Spirit just whispers and hits that string. It's like, and the Lord says, 
tell her to break up with him. And I was like, okay, this is going to be really awkward. And I was like, okay. First I was thinking, is this God? Then I was thinking, how do I get out of this? And then I was thinking, well, if she's like, what are you talking about? Then I'll go, no, I didn't say breakup. I said, where's the makeup? Where, what aisle is the makeup on? You know, I was like figuring like plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And I'm in the, like, I'm checking out and there's ladies there and I'm like, this is going to be so awkward, I know. I just felt like the Lord wanted me to tell you it's time to break up with him. Tears just stream down her face. And she says, I know. I know. I feel like the Lord's been talking to me. I just, I can't. I feel like bound. And she gives me the story and I kind of talk her through it. But like she needed that word to confirm what was happening in her heart. And only the Holy Spirit could do it. And I'm not smart enough nor perceptive enough to do that kind of stuff. I promise you. I'm like way here in the clouds. I'm not in the details. I'm not like, mm, Lord, hits my heart. Doesn't make any sense. Do it. Because the Lord, he's a speaking. The Bible says God is a speaking God. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of God's mouth. God is speaking. In fact, the whole first part of your Bible is God speaking and creating, speaking, speaking, speaking. God is a speaking God, and he hasn't gone silent since Calvary. He still wants to commune with you. He still wants to speak to your life. I'm not talking about goofy. I'm not talking about like, he gave me the numbers to the lottery. I'm not talking about that, but if you win... You better. No, I'm just kidding. But I'm talking about like the Lord leading and guiding and correcting and directing. You know what I'm saying? Like the like the good stuff. There's a there's a there's a a, a psychologist from Harvard. His his name is Jerome Keegan, and he did a study over several years, and he was looking at personalities and broke it down into three types, three types of dispositions that we have. And all of us in this room are one of these three. We're either, he made it real simple. We're either aggressive, we're either anxious. Or we're either philosophical. When there's a problem, we either run to it, we're aggressive, we run from it, we're anxious, or we're philosophical, we stand and we contemplate. Like essentially all of us fall into one of those categories. And they asked him, he said, which is the best? And he said, none of them are the best. There's sometimes you're supposed to run away. There's some things you need to run toward. And there's some things you need to stop and think before you do anything. And he said, essentially, two-thirds of the time, your natural instinct, your bent, is going to want to do the wrong thing. That's why you need the Holy Spirit to guide you. That's why we need help and direction. Because most of the time, I feel like maybe I'm a little more of the aggressive. Like I want, I'm like, Lord, bless them or blast them. But one of them right now, I need you to do something. You know what I mean? And the, the Holy Spirit will be like, er, 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 red flag, red flag, bad attitude. That's not like Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit's job is to make me more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit's job is to make my life, my words, my conduct, my convictions to look like Jesus. I'm becoming a son of God. I'm being changed into that image. And sometimes you make dumb mistakes and the Holy Spirit's like, er, 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 and it feels so loud in here and no one else can hear it. If I, I feel like a goofball. I feel like I've failed. And thank God that we have some things that can help us from veering off the road. Right? And keep us, keep some, some lines and keep some 
borders and keep some convictions. Here's a scripture, John chapter 16 and 13. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you. Everybody say guide into all truth. He will not speak of his own. He will speak only what he hears. He will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So the Holy Spirit's job is not to glorify himself. It's to glorify Jesus. That's why people are like, why doesn't the Holy Spirit get talked about more? Well, it's kind of, seems like counterintuitive, but the whole role of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus and point to the resurrection. Is that cool? So anything that, like, glorifies you, makes you look great, may not be the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy, it's the Holy Spirit's job to glorify Jesus. The Holy Spirit doesn't even glorify himself. The other thing that we can ascertain from this passage is that the Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. There's, there's, there's people out there that believe that the Holy Spirit is an it. He's like energy. He's just like electricity. Has no mind or will. Just wherever the current takes him. And that's not correct. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can lie to the Holy Spirit. There's a whole list of things that you can do to the Holy Spirit. We can commune with the Holy Spirit, right? Spirit, Holy Spirit has a mind. There's a whole, there's, that, that's a whole other teaching for another day. But this is unpacking to us some of the great truths that the Holy Spirit is like echoing what's happening in all the transactions in heaven. Here's what's going on. Here's what God, you know, it's like just pointing us in the right direction. So we need more of the Holy Spirit, not less of the Holy Spirit. My wife and I, we traveled all over the country uh, for two and a half years. We, we one time tr drove all the way from California to Maine. And then up into Canada and down to Texas and all around. We drove and uh, preached and helped churches and connected with other churches and, and, uh, and, and, and preached and did outreach. We did it for two and a half years. It was, it was a lot of fun. Got to meet a lot of great people, yada, yada, yada. We were on, we were on a little trip before we were pastoring. And um, we were down in East Texas. And we just had a, a great service. And after a great service, you know what you got to do. You got to go eat, right? It's like part of the thing. Anyways, great great service, and we're on our, on our way to like Quiznos sandwich. I'll never forget. We're on our way to Quiznos, getting, a, getting that, that sweet sandwich that just is very luscious, and I don't get to eat anymore because Quiznos shut down. We're on our way, and on the side of the road is a car, and there's a lady holding a baby, and the baby has no life. We can see that like this three-year-old is just like this, and the mother is just screaming. And so I think Let's pull over. Let's help. Heidi, you call 911. Try to figure out where we are. Describe where we are. I'm going to go do CPR or something because, you know, I don't know CPR, but I know that you're supposed to push, right? So as I'm walking toward the mother with the baby, the Holy Spirit starts playing in the key of G. Lay hands on the baby and pray. I was like, no, you're not. Not right now. No, 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 you know. And it just kept getting louder. And that little string kept vibrating more. And I was like, uh. And as I'm walking, I'm talking myself out of it. I'm like, no, no, I, I'm, I'm a young kid. I'm 24 and uh, I don't know what I'm doing and. 
My wife and I had an argument yesterday, and she was right, and I wasn't even willing to admit it. And, you know, how can I pray for this child? And I'm going through all this stuff in my mind, and I'm talking myself out of it, and it just gets louder and louder and louder. And I get to the, the mother, and I say, can I pray for your baby? Lord, not because of who I am or what I've done, but I'm praying because of your goodness. Will you bring life to this baby? And as soon as I prayed it in Jesus' name, the baby took a breath and literally woke up in that moment. Now, can I tell you something? That was zero me. Like, probably if I would have recorded that prayer, it would have been like so bad. Like, like, I said it better there than I really probably did. I was like, oh, nervous. But I was obedient to this Kairos moment that God set up and was just like ringing in my heart. And by obeying, God did something and he gets all the glory. Not me. Not me. And this is the life that God's called us to, to be obedient, to be listeners. To say, Lord, I want more of your spirit. I don't want less of that. I want more of that. We want more of it in the church. We want more of it in our lives. We want more of it. Let me, let me just touch on this real quick. One of the reasons that people, I'm going to give you a couple reasons that people don't receive and are not apt to the work of the Spirit, and then we'll close. One of the reasons is, is because you have in your mind that if you go Holy Spirit, you're going to be weird. And things can get out of order. Can I tell you this? That the Holy Spirit does not do out of order. The Holy Spirit, God is a God of order. Can I... Can I get a witness from anybody? So like, like that whole like, like, what if he makes me, you know, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. We have a, we have a, we have kind of a, a, a common code here, okay? And I want to explain it to you really quick. We believe that all of the gifts, the nine gifts in, uh, and these are, these are the spiritual gifts. These are not even offices and admins and all the teaching gifts and da, da, da. I'm just talking about the supernatural ones like tongues and miracles and word of knowledge where God speaks to your heart and something you would have never been able to know, but he, he quickens something to you, yada, yada, yada. We believe all that still happens. But here's, we also believe that there's order, so we have to balance those two. It's not something we have to choose one or the other. Well, you know, it's kind of not, it's kind of creepy for some people, so let's just throw the baby out with the bathwater. No, we're going we're gonna to manage that tension. We're going to say, you know what, God still speaks. We all make mistakes. Let's figure it out. Let's grow in it. Let's grow in our gift, yada, 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 right? But when it comes to tongues, here's a great, here's a great illustration. So Paul, when he talks about tongues in the church, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he says, look, tongues is not a thing that, I mean, I, he says, I speak in tongues more than you all. I pray in my prayer language, my spirit's edified, but no one else is edified. He says it's for me. He says, if you're going to speak out in church in a tongue, you better have a prophecy or an interpretation because everyone's going to be like, what, what, what? You know what I mean? And so here's, here's kind of the, the house rules for us. Are you ready? We call it the canopy. It's a canopy of sound. It's kind of the white noise in the room. You go to a, you go to a restaurant, and there's a white noise in the room. And sometimes it can get louder. Everyone's talking louder, and it gets quieter. Da, 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 da. And sometimes it's like, it goes completely quiet. It's like, oh, that's weird. No one's talking, right? Maybe you've had that experience or not. I don't know. But then somebody drops something, and it's louder. It pierces through the canopy of the white noise in the room. So it becomes a distinct sound to everyone. Everyone turns their heads and looks and is like, what just happened? Everyone's at attention is no longer on the person they're in communion with, but it's now on something else. Does that make sense? So what Paul says is if you speak in tongues, 
and you break the canopy and you're a distinct sound and people are like, someone's speaking in tongues loud. He goes, if you don't prophesy, you're out of order. As long as we stay under the canopy, when the worship's going on and people are singing the song and you want to pray in your prayer language, awesome, do that. No one's going to come tap you on the shoulder and be like, English only, dude. You know what I mean? English or Spanish only. And German, too. We have a guy who speaks great German here. English, French, and German only, dude. You know what I mean? What dialect is that? No, it's not going to happen. You pray how you want to pray. You worship how you want to worship. But the moment you go, ah, and everyone goes, Paul's like, out of order. Does that make sense? So again, I, I, I want the Lord to move. And when he does, and he wants to speak to the church, he'll do it his way. And when there's uh, a prophecy or tongue, and the Bible says that when we preach, we're prophesying. We're oracles of God. We're preaching the sure word of prophecy. It's all, it's all should be in order and in sync. So what I'm saying is, is like, don't let... The tale that if you embrace the work of the Spirit, that somehow you're now going to become some odd duck that comes out blurting and screaming at people all the time. And, and you know, and you're going to have like an accent from your new prayer language. That's not the point. The point is, is we're listening. We're hearers. God's speaking through me. God's speaking to me. I'm now connected. God's filling me. God's doing things that I couldn't do on my own. Does that make sense? Are we all good with that? I got three scowls, a grimace, and... Five smiles. God bless you, everybody. All right. Very quickly, I want to give you some attributes about the Holy Spirit, and then we're going to close. Joel chapter 2 and 28. This is one of many prophecies in the Old Testament about the Holy Spirit that will be poured out in the New Testament after Christ uh, dies and is buried and re is resurrected. In fact, Jesus said, um, those who hunger and thirst after me, let them come and drink. This he spoke of the Holy Spirit that would come on them. Um, after Jesus was glorified, after he went to heaven. So Jesus was not going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh until he first went into the earth, came out, and then ascended high above the heaven. Why? Because you cannot pour into a container. This is the cup. This is the source. Unless you raise the source higher than what's being poured out. So the Bible says in Ephesians that he ascended high above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So there's this outpouring. God's filling the earth with his glory. He's filling the earth with his presence. His presence is drawing and calling and convicting and waking people in the middle of the night. In, in parts of the Middle East, people are literally waking up having dreams about Jesus and waking up being filled with the Spirit. And some of them speaking in languages they've never heard before as the Spirit is just flowing through them like, a, like streaming the Internet, like just flowing out of them and through them. How does that happen? It's not by human will or power. It's by the work of the Spirit. Joel chapter 2 and 28, it says this. It shall come to pass afterward, this is a prophecy 700 years before Jesus, the prophet Joel, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. So that means uh, chubby flesh, skinny flesh, dark flesh, oily flesh, dry flesh. That means good tan, bad tan, sunburn, pale, all flesh. That means that the Holy Spirit is not racist nor ethnocentric. You okay with that? Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. So the Holy Spirit is not sexist. It's not just for men. It's not just for the priest. That's a man. That's an older man who could go into the Holy of Holies once a year. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. He's not ageist. He's not going to, he's not going to, like, oh, this is only for the young guys. This is only for guys who have been around a long time. They're really old, okay? Not ageist. 
even on the male and female servants in those days will I pour my spirit. He's not classist. Doesn't care your class, poor, rich, whatever. He's going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh, those who are calling on the name, those who are hungry for the presence. So guess what? This has nothing to do with God wanting you to have it or not have it. This is about you deciding, this gift is for me. This is what God has for my life. So I'm going to give you a couple reasons, and then we're going to close, on why people never come into an experience with the baptism of the Spirit. The first one is, is people don't know about it. People don't know about it. Maybe you're here today, and you know about it, but you at one time did not know about it. Um, how many grew up not knowing about the Holy Spirit? Went to church maybe even. Didn't know. Like, wasn't talked about. Okay. Cool. Happens. Acts 19 and 1 says this. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we've not heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism. They replied, Paul said John's baptism is the baptism of repentance. But he told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were, they were water baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. So they were, I'm not talking about dropping, I'm talking about full. They were, God was immersing them with the Holy Spirit. This is important. That they recognize, hey, I'm a believer, but I, I said yes to Jesus, but now I want to embrace the Spirit-filled life. I want, what, I, want the, the, I want God to pour into this heart. And again, this is not to make it spooky. In fact, I want to demystify it. This, this is not something that has to be mystical. Ooh, this is just something very simple. The Spirit of the Lord is in the earth. He's like, I just want to fill your heart again and again and again. I want to fill you with wisdom and knowledge, and I want, I want to teach you. The Bible says the anointing, the Spirit teaches you all things, and it's true, and it's no lie. It's a teacher. So you're hearing Scripture, and you're like, I don't get it. But this, your, your spirit is, is learning and growing. You don't even realize it. Like, your spirit man's getting stronger and stronger, and your brain may have, like, a couple months or years to catch up with what's going on inside of you. You're being taught right now through the Word and the Spirit. Isn't that kind of cool? Your spirit's way ahead of your brain. In fact, your brain is never going to catch up with what your heart and spirit knows. That's good preaching, Pastor. All right. Hallelujah. Amen. Okay. Another reason people don't is because they resist. Acts 7 and 51. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. What does the word stiff-necked mean? It, it essentially is, a, is the old Jewish colloquial way of saying... You are stubborn. You know people who, like, they won't turn their head or turn their opinion or change their mind about something. They're just like, this is the way it is. I will not turn any other direction. This is it. It's like some of us come to God like that. We're like, this is the way it is. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. I know better. I know more. And we, and we just, we like quench the spirit. When we just use all of our head knowledge and stubbornness to, like, put God in a box. Put God in a box. So people resist. Another reason people don't receive is because they don't ask. They don't ask. Luke chapter 11 and 9. And so I tell you, keep on asking. 
and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Okay, let's stop right there for just a moment. We've all read that before. We've all heard that preach, and we've all attributed that to, to like, the car you want. Or the man you want. Lord, that's a good Christian brother right there. I'm asking, I'm seeking, and I'm knocking. Make something happen. You know what I mean? Like, that's usually one of the areas that we do the asking, seeking, knocking. But in the real context of this scripture, here's what it says. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? So if they ask for something specific, are you going to, like, dupe them with something different or less than? No. If they ask for an egg, will you give them a scorpion? Something that's going to hurt them? No. Holy Spirit's not going to hurt them. It's not going to trick them. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? The big roadblock for most people is they just haven't asked. And this doesn't have to be something complicated. It's not some magic formula where you do these three things. It's like, I'm waiting. I'm hungry. I'm ready for more. You know, if my kids tell me I'm not hungry, that usually means they're not well. Because my kids eat like animals. And there's something powerful about us going, I'm hungry for more. I'm hungry. And I hope that you're hungry. I hope that you're going, man, God has been so good, and I know there is more. And I don't know what that's going to look like. I just know that I'm being invited in my apprentice ship in my journey with Jesus to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of my father his spirit burning inside of me poured out 